Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Uh, my name is Lee Schmidt. We're here with Dan Perkins and Chris Freytag. It's uh, June 10th, 2022. We're at the home in Springfield, Oregon. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Uh, first question to get things rolling is why wine? That's, uh, I watched a couple interviews and why wine? And uh, because it's fun. <laughs> we, we love wine. Um, we always have the science behind it, the atmosphere around it. Um, I'm kind of a sciencey guy. I have a minor degree in science, and so um, I, just the whole idea of wine interests me. It always has, um, not just because it tastes good and it's fun to make, but because it's probably one of the most complicated things on the planet when you think about it. Um, but we just enjoy the whole growing, picking, harvesting, you know, the atmosphere. I don't know, harvest kind of my favorite time. Makes things a lot of fun. Um, and it makes it fun that Chris likes it too. <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, wine actually became a, a, a passion in the last, I'm gonna say 10 or 12 years. Um, prior to then, I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to wine. I was just an occasional have a beer type of person. Um, and uh, some good friends of ours one weekend had suggested, hey, I got this group on for going wine tasting down in the Umqua Valley, so around Roseburg. And so we did that, and it was kind of an eye-opening experience. Started getting more into wines. Uh, we went to a lot of boutique wineries where it was the small uh, ma and pa shops. Um, really got into wine. Um, and from there on out, it was just, uh, we kept going back to the area. Uh, kept going down back to Umqua because they had such a diverse range of wines. And the more that I was trying the wines, the more I became fascinated with wine production um, and then talking with some of the owners, um, supporting those owners, supporting wine clubs. Uh, and then that just led to getting to work with them on some of those production days. Everything from, you know, maybe around harvest time, some of that work, and then going into even bottling wine. And it just became something that grew into a passion and wanted to explore that for myself. You know, Chris and I took a trip up to uh, Deckelman's place. Yeah, Vitus Ridge. Vitus Ridge Winery. And he took us on a big tour out in the winery. And uh, the more I looked at it and the way he had things, you know, trimmed and lined up, um, wineries are beautiful. Vineyards are beautiful. Um, so I thought, you know, we can do that. So, um, and I've, uh, I've enjoyed just the whole thought of a vineyard, I don't know, 25, 30 years, just wanting to do that. I'm linear and neat and tidy, and so that's, that's what, uh, one of the things that interested me. Um, besides the fact that you can plant a stick and get grapes off of it, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Which we did, and we have, uh, you know, the small vineyard up the river here, and it's uh, extremely satisfying to, put a lot of work <laughs> into, yeah. into a vineyard, um, but then to make something that somebody can drink and go, you know, that's really good. I mean, there's that's there's a lot of satisfaction in that. So, For sure. Yeah, we, uh, we both enjoy that. Because we do that, we'll do tastings. Somebody will taste it and we're both like, 
She's either going to like it or pass out. I'm not sure. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, it's involved, but we love it. We like to be busy. Tell me about the, you mentioned the kind of the education process for you start, you know, you, start, you, you go on a trip and it kind of clicks that you're excited about this. So tell me about learning about wine in your way. What, what's been exciting about the process of learning about wine and what have you felt is like the most kind of successful uh, educational opportunities for yourselves? Um, for me, it was constantly going to uh, a variety of tasting rooms, uh, visiting some of those same tasting rooms over time, getting acquainted with the different wines and so it really just came down to um, asking questions. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when you go into these tasting rooms that are, are boutique in nature, especially uh, the winemaker and owner would be pouring for you. And so uh, asking questions about everything from how does this grape grow? Um, how, how do you treat this grape out in the vineyard? Because uh, it was fascinating to me. You can get such a diverse range of tastes, uh, colors, uh, on these wines and it's all from something you just plant into the ground. So it really began with asking questions and then when supporting wine clubs or just going back and visiting these places and developing relationships with these owners, it would it'd come out like, oh, we're working on this project, we got harvest time coming up or we got bottling coming up. Um, and so it, it opened those doors to go and engage in some of those activities and then learn as you're going through those processes <clears throat> Before Chris and I decided to jump in with both feet, um, I thought, well, you know, I'll try my hand at a few kits, wine kits, you know. Mm -hmm. So sent and got a few kits, and you know, you kind of understand the process on a minuscule scale um, that you got to have a, you know, all these different products. They have to go in an order, you know. So it's very, you have to be meticulous, and I think that's why Chris and I haven't had any failures yet. Um, but making kits and having them turn out for as good as the kit can turn out, um, let us know that the process you know, can be expanded. And then having been at numerous wineries and vineyards, you know, we just kind of looked at each other one day and you know, we're like, we can do this. <laughs> we, we can do this. And so the first year we started, we made uh, six bottles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> six Boy, bottles. Boy, I tell you, we, yeah. we, and you know, we, it was an education because we planted the grapes and we grew the grapes and we harvested the grapes. We processed all of those things and we're like, okay, we got to go a few more bottles than this. So, you know, we just started stepping up and um, the educational process um, is big because it's storage, it's processing, it's transportation, it's, yeah, you, you know, it, there's a lot to it. And so I think we worked into it gradual enough that there was no um, huge steps. Last year was a big step because we went from like 350 gallons to, or 350 pounds to 11 or 12,000 pounds. <clears throat> so that was a big step, but you know, we handled it between the two of us. Um, I think we got, a, I think we got a grip on this. So <laughs> we'll, I think the we'll see. <laughs> I think the educational process really took off when we did plant a small vineyard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because at that point, and that was back in 2015. <clears throat> Because there was, if you will, your canvas to start making your wine with. And because of a lot of the relationships that have been developed with um, winemakers and wineries down in Roseburg, and by this point now, 2015, um, had made some acquaintances and friendships up even in the Willamette Valley and the Columbia Valley, 
we were doing our best to work with the vineyard and we we started the grape that we planted was Marischal Foch which I know is one that's it's less common to find in a single varietal but here in Oregon a lot of winemakers will use it in blends for some added color maybe put a little fruit kick on the end of a, a wine um, but it's funny because we were told by a, a fellow winemaker that you basically have to burn this grape down to mess it up. <laughs> and so we thought, well, okay, that's great. And we, I was like, yay! <laughs> so we're not having to do to, to spray and look out for mildews or things like such as Pinot Noir would be susceptible to. So we have this, this grape that gave us a place to start with. And then some of the winemakers, when it was getting ready for us to harvest, were really helpful and encouraging. In fact, there was one winemaker that I've been friends with for a while in Roseburg. Um, he had me come in after hours and he said, all right, we're going to sit down and talk about the process that you're going to go through. And he was talking about everything from, okay, here's what you work with when you, when you harvest. You want to watch your SO2. You want to watch tannins, you know, if you want to use enzymes. So it got very, very in depth. And I, I credit, um, to the moon and back those winemakers because I think we could have got there with as serious as we are about wine I think but those winemakers they they got us easy four or five years ahead of a learning curve. Yeah, they, they cut off multiple years yeah and so. that's and, and they did it willingly we didn't have to beg or plead they're just willing to help and that's an interesting thing about that community um, they uh -huh. are they are just open willing to share um, as far as you know the vineyard goes um, I talked to several about how to prune and what type of styles they use you know single cane double cane you know all this different stuff so I do a lot of the vineyard uh, work mm -hmm. not all Chris is up there probably more times this year than, <laughs> than I have um, but yeah the, it, the whole thing is uh, is a giant curve and like Chris said credit to the moon and back to those other winemakers, hundreds probably, <laughs> that helped us uh, get get where we are so quick. So we appreciate that very much. So you know we're willing to pay it forward. I mean we're not we're not above that. So yeah, uh, and I'll still ask questions. Uh, like Dan mentioned earlier, we we've been very careful about wine production, and so we haven't run into too many major issues. But when there's a, a an obstacle that comes up or a question if we can't readily find the answer on our own with research. There are, there's probably two or three I can think of the top of my head now, winemakers that I'll consult with and usually they have a pretty good recommendation or suggestion that will correct whatever, in my opinion, wasn't maybe going the right direction. Mm -hmm. So back up a little bit before we, before we get ahead in the story, back up a little bit and talk about kind of life before wine. So Chris, let's start with you, talk about uh, where you're born and grew up and and what 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 brought you into to the kind of the place of discovering wine i was actually born and raised here in the eugene springfield area um so it, it's beautiful here though um i've never really had a desire to leave uh friends and family are all still here um graduated from um churchill in eugene uh attended sheldon for a while too so this is this is just home for me um and my background uh, getting out of high school was a lot of retail work, uh, worked in uh, finances, and then um, moved more into multimedia design and production. Um, I, I was always pretty artistic growing up, and when the internet really took off in the late 90s and web design was really um, launching, mm -hmm. you could say, I got really into that. And so 
Um, that's kind of my background now even, is working with IT and web design. Um, of course, we're taking the winery venture slow, so um, still got day jobs. <laughs> and mine is, it's, it's web design largely in the medical field. Um, so that's, that's life before wine really took off. And as I shared earlier, my exposure to wine really was just almost on a, a, a friend having a whim. Going, come on, let's go down and try the, uh, this winery I got a, a group on for. And since there were so many wineries in the area, that's what led to us going, well, hey, why stop here? Let's go. There's another one down the road. There's another one over there. Let's go check them all out and see what these people are like and try these wines. What about for you, Dan? Well, mine... <clears throat> Mine's a little longer. <laughs> I got Chris by how many years? 25, 20? 20. 20. Him and Shelly are pretty much our son and daughter. So we've, we've known them. I've known Shelly since she was three, maybe, four. Um, and that was a long time ago. Um, I, I actually grew up in Eugene Springfield, born in Cottage Grove. I graduated from Thurston, which is right there. <laughs> a block and a half right there. So I, I've moved a lot, you know. Um, went halfway around the world uh, looking for other things. But when I come back, I got into construction. Uh, my dad was a builder. And so pretty much taught myself. I took a couple years of an apprenticeship. Um, wasn't learning anything. So <laughs> um, just started building on my own. So I've built everything from signs to houses to malls to you know anything anything that can be built I think I've pretty much built so um, which I think has helped us a lot because the equipment a lot of the equipment that we've used I've had a hand in either making better or building um, Chris has done all the web design stuff so we've really um, helped ourselves in, in in a very big way mm -hmm. in not having to spend all that extra cash and money and time and in, in dealing with that um, so <clears throat> Um, and I like building uh, like this, hand carved this. Um, that's kind of a my baby. <laughs> um, so got into epoxy overlays and river tables, and um, I got hundred-year-old barnwood that I've made stuff out of that um, is fabulous. But anyway, um, I get on a soapbox about building because I really like to build stuff. But that, but that too would lead into the vineyard because you know then you can plant and string wires and you know get all this stuff in the ground and very hands-on. So I enjoyed that, um, which has helped us I think stay ahead of the curve just a little bit. So yep. and as far as wine goes, um, like Chris, <clears throat> I'd have the occasional beer, um, and then. I have no idea when wine started, 25 or 30 years ago. Um, wine in a box. <laughs> I don't know if you can leave that in the interview or not. Hang on. <laughs> so, but we've 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 grown. We've grown. Yeah, we've grown, um, and been to numerous uh, tasting rooms around, and uh, noticed that. Um, and we both have a a palate for nuances in wine and you know some people taste that and go yep that's red okay well there's a hundred thousand different nuances in red wine and so um, over the years we started comparing notes and decided that we wanted to take on the adventure mm -hmm. so here we are so take me through that process of, of going from appreciating wine and kind of helping out other people to actually wanting to, to do with your own thing 
What was the, you mentioned the, the six bottles you made together. What, were, <laughs> what was the impetus to start making wine? So, so that was 15 when we planted. Yeah. So about it was maybe 13 or 14. I think Chris and I talked about wanting to make wine together and what to do and where to do it and that kind of thing. And uh, he had met Chris Deckelman up there. And so we asked him, he's in uh, Vitus Ridge, and uh, we just asked him if there was some place we could get starts. Yeah. And he said, well, I, mm -hmm. I have 100,000, you know, yeah. <laughs> sitting out in these giant uh, um, rooting tanks. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> I said, well, you know, can we get some? And so went up and got a hundred, and uh, he, t you know, he just stopped everything he was doing and told me how to plant them and what to do and what to put in and you know lime in the bottom, put dirt, you know, and all this stuff and how deep to plant them. Um, he says, but you got to let me know how it turns out, which I think we still owe him a bottle. But anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, we planted. I think it was like '96, plants the first year in '15, and that's kind of where the little the little vineyard got started, um, and then it just started snowballing because Chris started looking around, you know, we can buy grapes here, 500 pounds, 1,000 pounds a ton, and so we just started a little bit at a time buying more and buying more, and then people started giving us grapes last year, Boy. <laughs> like 3,000 pounds. So our production went up just a little bit last year, but that kind of got us where we are. Started buying containers and processing equipment and mm -hmm. asking more questions, talking to winemakers. Yeah. Everywhere we go, we talk to winemakers just to try to get, you know, the little tidbit that can help. So, And I got to the point of enjoying making a day of visiting tasting rooms. Um, got into wine so much, wanted to explore as much as I could because one of the beautiful things about Oregon is that there's a spirit of exploration. Everyone's not afraid to try something new, something different, and everyone's got their own style. I mean, we're in Oregon, so Pinot Noir, for example, the flagship, of course, there's folks that do it in so many different styles, so many different ways, and they're all, they all have something different and unique to them. They're all really, really good. Mm -hmm. And so I would make it a point to visit a few tasting rooms in a day, and it got to the point where those occasions were almost uh, like a, a day off. You got your friends, your family, you're drinking wine, you're talking about wine, you're talking about working with the earth and the planet, and it just became an overall experience to me. And I think that was a big part of what drove me to the point of going, okay, I really wanna to try to make some wine as well, because that experience had made me feel like I wanted to give other people that experience. And um, a big motivator for us in taking this leap too was the fact that in our location here, uh, around the McKenzie River area in Oregon, you don't really have a lot of wine options. Uh, of course, you can run down to the local store and you'll have some some pretty good wines you can get off the store shelf, but in terms of a boutique winery experience, there's not really an option out here. And so that too was a motivator and going, well, hey, maybe we could give this a shot and see how it goes. And as Dan mentioned, that's what led to planting the, the small vineyard and we, the, the, the small amount, the six bottles, was because the, uh, we planted in 15, and it's kind of, um, was kind of said and known that, hey, you gotta wait a good four or five years for um, 
the vineyard to produce a decent amount uh, of yield so you can make a substantial amount of wine. But there's nothing wrong. And hey, by year three, we had some grapes growing. And because we were so much into, we want to get the education and learn how to do this, let's work with the grapes. Why, why let these clusters grow that look good and let them just fall off the vine and, you know, go to waste, basically. So <laughs> think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, uh, and that, uh, the wine turned out okay. Um, you could tell it was definitely a young vineyard, but you know what? It, it felt like a success because we went through the process start to finish and made wine that didn't want to dump out. Yeah, it was drinkable. Yay! <laughs> Nobody went blind. Nobody yeah, went, went blind. blind. No oh, corks yeah. popped. Didn't turn into vinegar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was it was decent wine. What did what were your biggest takeaways from the experience of, of making wine the first time? Oh boy, um, <laughs> I would say the first time was just a feeling of okay, wow, made it through. Uh, start to finish. We harvested the fruit. We worked with the fruit. Um, Man, do we have a lot to learn. Yeah, yeah, there was, there was that too. Take away how much you really have to learn about it. But, you know, and we were realistic going in. We yeah. thought, let's let's have a good harvest. Let's pay attention to when the grapes are ready to be picked. And we were successful in that regard. We had a successful fermentation. Watch, there's, I mean, just the science behind uh, a healthy fermentation alone is... It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. It can kind of be its own animal. So getting through just even the basics, successful fermentation, malolactic fermentation, and then it aging. We're trying it. Nothing's going wrong. Mm-hmm. It's getting better as it should. Um, we So I, I say that what I took away from it was these small victories. That motivated me to then continue going with the next vintage. And yes, asking more questions more based questions. on that experience. So Well, and we've always like, okay, let's play with this little bit to see what it'll do. Do something different in the vineyard. Every year I trim something just a little different because there are several ways that you can grow grapes. Um, even this year I've got an entire row that I'm going to do completely different mm-hmm. just to see what's what because I went to Jack's place up in Ricreal and uh, so that's the, the style of canes that he has up there I'm going to try up here in a row this year just to just to see if it's different so we're always willing to experiment we'll take a little bit you know of a certain grape try something different Um, one of the things that we like to do is minimum of two kinds of yeasts I think this year we have one with four yeah or will have once it's all blended so Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how many uh, winemakers do that you know they kind of like a yeast and that's what they want to use um, we've played with different things. Uh, we found a few things that we like, especially with Marichal Foch, um, and we keep doing that. But there's so much to learn, so much to do, so many, so many ways to go in this that it's it's exciting. <laughs> it's very exciting. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to go and still end up with a very good product. And so that's what we keep doing. I wouldn't call us envelope pushers, but. We'll lean on it just a little bit from time to time. So, <laughs> uh, when it came to the vineyard, since that was kind of the first big step you, t- you took, uh, what was the what were the biggest? Um, I guess what was the biggest learning curve there? What what when you went, when it came to plant a vineyard, what did you not know that you that you were that you had to kind of figure out along the way? 
You got to get rid of all that grass. <laughs> we we have a, a friend of ours up the Mackenzie. He's like, man, just take a spot of that and plant some. Great. So we just went and drilled holes, put our stuff in, left all the grass and natural, because you know we don't want to we don't want to destroy things. We want it to be all natural. Well, a couple Sundays I went up there with a weed eater and stuff was just you know overgrown. So since then I've learned that um, vintners go in and they'll like take all that weed and stuff out of there, leave the topsoil, but get rid of all of that undergrowth because it does, pulls nutrients, gets in the way, um, draws in pests and bugs and creatures. Um, and so probably for me in the vineyard, that's the biggest thing. Take care of that first. Then it's low maintenance and you don't have to go up there and spend three and a half hours on a weed eater. Lesson, I think, lesson learned. Yeah. Well, we keep learning lessons too. Well, so. That's that's okay. <laughs> it's an adventure. It's an adventure. Yeah. I think for me it was it was pretty straightforward when it came to planting the vineyard. I think where it became a little tricky for me and I had some learning curves was once you get into the heart of the summer season, it's it's in our opinion we feel it's a good practice and a, a lot of vineyards do this to go in and do some deleafing because if you get a heavy canopy that can affect the uh, resulting quality in the grapes. It can make, take them in more of maybe a green direction versus maybe a, a ripe, more fruity direction. So the, the first vintage, that, that didn't really happen. The wine was still good, but you could just, you could tell that there was a difference and that it was more, uh, a little more herbaceous, had some green character. And in subsequent years, going through there in about July or August and then deleafing, letting the sun get direct, um, access to the grapes to ripen things it would it made a world of difference so that that's the biggest learning curve for me mm -hmm. that i can think of keeping an eye on clusters that and you kind of have to learn that clusters that you know aren't going to do what they should you know nobody likes to throw away those kind of things but you know if you get rid of those clusters that are eating up nutrients that could go to a good cluster getting mm -hmm. rid of some of that leafage um, keeping an eye out for anything that's strange some kind of fungus you know leaf rot any of those kinds of things you, you know it's it does take a lot of work to go up there and make sure all that happens thankfully it's not too far so yeah so at what point did did, did you decide to make it com a commercial venture what, what point was the was the did commercial venture become a reality and what were the steps you had to take at that point to, to make it real to make it legitimate <laughs> what steps <laughs> well the wow. The biggest steps that we had to take before we went commercial was to ask ourselves, can we, can we produce drinkable wine? We, we had this start with Marischal Foch, and it's not that we're avid Foch fans, we do like Foch, but it just happened to be that we had access to that. It was a very hearty, versatile grape, and so it just made sense to start working with that. Uh, so, but we had to be convinced, okay, is this just a fortunate experience or two we've had? with our own local Marischal Foch, or can we actually produce some good wines? So, I think it was in 20, we had our own local fruit to process, but I made the decision to, okay, we're gonna go ahead and get some Pinot Noir. And I, I felt, with it being Oregon especially, okay, if we can make a decent Pinot Noir, then you, you've arrived. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we did, we, we sourced, we sourced um, all of these following varietals I'll mention, but we got Pinot Noir, we got Merlot from the Columbia Valley, and we found an excellent grower 
up around Forest Grove who has this area that's got a nice warm pocket where uh, Tipperneo can actually ripen. And so we capped it at those varietals. We got just a, some you know varietals we could count on our hand and we made a couple rosés of some of them. We also did a, a blend of Merlot and Tempranillo. So even though we got maybe four or five varietals, we were able to produce still six or seven wines. And so that was really, I think, uh, a critical moment in deciding whether or not to go to uh, go commercial because if we could make drinkable, decent wine, then why go through the those extra steps of going commercial and it is it's a lot of work uh, fortunately we've been we've been wise about financial decisions and we've had a lot of really nice boutique wineries that mentioned to us you can't do this without going into debt it'll be a slow burn which i expected anyway but you can you can take those baby steps you don't have to right away go out and get a, a million dollar tasting room so we decided okay what steps do we want to take we started taking those steps and, and then the whirlwind of getting licensed with um, the TTB and OLCC, um, they're very helpful. I, I think those organizations are great. The tricky part was doing this during COVID, however. So we did have delays and how quickly they could process our, our license and all of those formal things. Uh, but those were the next steps. And so we started jumping in and we just kept, okay, here comes the next vintage. What, what varietals are we gonna work with this next vintage? And, and so here we are, the ball, the, the ball just keeps on rolling. Uh, we're set up, we are commercial. Um, our, our first commercial wines went on sale just earlier this year. Um, had a white wine, uh, multiple rosés. And later this year, we'll be releasing some Pinot Noir and Barbera uh, and, and a few others. We got a few things up our sleeves, so that's kind of it, I guess, in a nutshell. There, how we made those decisions and going commercial and that, yeah. Last July, we uh, were legal, and you know it's interesting that it's kind of a you took this step and then they're like, okay, now you got to do this step. Okay, so then yeah. you send in that application and that fee, of course, um, which all have to happen. But um, it was all legal last July, so yeah, we're excited to have stuff on. The market for sale. Um, we'll see how it goes from here. Chris is doing a lot of things online. <clears throat> Might have to get an airplane and drop some flyers. I don't know. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're going to start looking at uh, farmers markets, mm -hmm. wine events around the area. <clears throat> um, it looks like that we have a concert coming up as well at the end of the month that we're <clears throat> we're aiming to pour wines at that we've been invited to. So there's. There's opportunities and there's coals in the fire, and I think, I think that's one thing that I would also want. Not, not that I'm jumping ahead here, but I would want wine lovers or people who are thinking about doing this to, to take away is that you can do it. Um, yes, it helps if you've got a ton of money in the bank, but if you don't, <laughs> if you got a passion for it and you want to work hard, the uh, it's possible. You don't have to go into debt doing it. It's it's a little bit slower. But in the Oregon wine industry, the community, the winemakers, winery owners, incredibly helpful. So I, I can't think of a, a better place for someone to, to dive into this and if they wanted to go commercial like we did. Um, a lot of work, but we've had such a lot of, a lot of good help and good people helping us. So.
Yeah, yeah we, we got a lot of friends that enjoy wine, so they, uh, they don't mind coming and helping, bottling, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> or we, harvest. We pay them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, most jobs you can't drink on the job. Product development, you gotta, you know, you gotta make sure things are happening correctly, so. <laughs> Someone's gotta test it. Yes, you know, it's a tough you know, job, but. Research, that's what it's called. Research, yeah. Just umbrella the <clears throat> research. That's it. <laughs> So what's been the biggest uh, for you? You mentioned how, how much more wine you're making, how, how, how many more, how much more you made last year. What's been the biggest sort of development for you in terms of the, the, the making, the, the seller work? Um, how has your sort of style evolved and, and how do you feel about uh, sort of how, how things go in the cellar for you now? There's good days and bad days. <laughs> Fortunately, no real yeah. bad days, but um, the style is, has pretty much remained the same um, we try to remain as hands off as possible. Uh, we don't we don't intervene too much with the wines. Um, yeah, we try to be as minimal as possible. There's certain things you have to do, otherwise, you know, legally you can't sell it, and it will just go south. You know, so there's certain things you have to do. But I think minimal and the whole two or three yeast things, we try to stay, you know, as close to that as we can. <clears throat> so Chris does most of the cellar work. Um, but um, he doesn't. He doesn't work all night. So you know what, what we're doing yeah. is working. Yeah. <laughs> and fortunately, we haven't really encountered any major problems. We've had maybe um, a, a few issues with um, some hydrogen sulfide that's crept in before. But again, this is where I mentioned earlier having those two or three winemakers that I keep in contact with, and then asking them questions when I, I feel there's an issue. They're very quick to help, offer suggestions, and ask me questions to try to get to know the condition of the wine. Um, so, a lot of help, but again, not having experienced too many problems, it's, I think we're, we're pretty fortunate in that regard so far. Uh, it's really just a matter of uh, cellar season, the work, um, checking things in the wine, tasting the wine, <coughs> checking uh, for ESO2 levels. Is this wine protected as it should be for the next, you know, five, six, seven weeks that it's going to just remain undisturbed. Um, has, has malolactic fermentation successfully finished? Is, is that tasting the way that it should? Um, making decisions on oak, too. Do we want to keep this aging on oak longer? Do we want to take it off maybe a little bit sooner because we want to have a more uh, fruit-forward expression in the wine? Um, so there's a lot of decision-making in that regard, um, but for me, I gotta say I like it. It's a lot of fun. That's, if I had to pick, I, I like harvest time a lot too, but cellar season is when the wine I think starts kind of working for you. You know, <laughs> when the grapes are ripe, they're ripe. We gotta go get them. Yeah. You know, we're, we're working for the grape, but cellar season, that personality, that wine's coming around and it, it feels good. When you sip that, you taste that, and it's coming along the way you want it to. Um, of course, we can't force it. The grape is what the grape's gonna be, um, but having that moment and that satisfaction of going, okay, yeah, this, this Pinot Noir is tasting wonderful. It's taste, tasting like a classic Oregon Pinot with some red berries or, you know, <clears throat> this, this Barbera. Because I'm a big fan of Barbera and Italian-style wines. And this past Vintage 21, we worked with it for the first time. And every time I'd taste it in the cellar, I'd see how it was cleaning up with our rackings and it just clarifying wonderfully. Uh, it felt really, really good to 
to, to see that there's there's success there. <clears throat> and being so close, which is nice, Chris will say he's testing, and we bought enough equipment that we can test acid-base balances. We can check SO2. Um, we don't have a laboratory, but we have enough equipment that we can uh, monitor and track you know what's going on inside there and uh, you know if there's ever a little nudging that needs to be done Chris will go over and he'll say stick your nose in that and uh, I don't know if you know what hydrogen sulfide gas is but it smells a whole lot like rotten eggs <clears throat> so he's like smell it and tell me what that is and so I did big old whiff I'm like holy cow that was terrible Chris <laughs> he, he kind of laughed he goes stinks don't it so you know we we had a little problem but but you know you nudge something you make a phone call or two, you read, um, and I, I think we've been scientifically successful, uh, flavorly, is that a word? Flav you just made it up. Flavory. <laughs> <laughs> the flavors have turned out really well. That Barbera he's talking about, not everybody can get that, and um, we were very glad to get that last year, and it's turning out to be like the rock star of what we're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. We've, uh, Shelly does some natural fermentation, and so she's taken a part of that. We just kind of let her run with it. It's like, okay, we, we got our hands full, so you just do what you do. Um, and it's turned out fantastic. So uh, we do have some that's natural fermentation, uh, which is very nice. We call it our Sasquatch line. Because yeah. <laughs> Sasquatch is big up here. You know, every place yeah. you go, there's a Sasquatch. So Fitting for the McKinsey River. Yeah, it's fi very fitting for up here. Um, but that's turned out fantastic, which is a whole different realm because you're really not doing too much. You do a little tasting and testing, and, you know, sometimes things need to be racked or splash racked or, you know, different things. But um, it all seems to be turning out well, and we're just we're tickled to be a part of such a big community that gets to make a... Very nice product. Yeah. That people like. <laughs> it's kind of like an ice cream shop, you know. How many mean people and mad people are in an ice cream shop? You know, we go taste in winery. There's not taste in wine. There's not too many too many mean and nasty people. So it's it's a nice community to be a part of. So some inter interesting timing. You mentioned kind of deciding during the pandemic to to, to go commercial. I'm curious. You, obviously, extra challenges. Uh, were there was there any hesitation because of the timing of it or did you feel pretty confident about making it work despite everything else that was going on I don't think we had any hesitation no I felt pretty confident um, my the day job was in uh, it still is in uh, largely the medical field so kept really busy during COVID because as everyone knows a lot of medical institutions were communicating with patients through websites telehealth became a big a big deal so we were able to continue moving forward I think from a financial standpoint and and trying to gradually grow a little bit more but with needing to avoid uh, association close association with people well it just meant there was more time to go spend in the vineyard where <laughs> you can be spaced out and, and do some work out there mm -hmm. and I think it, it ended up slightly working out into our favor because we in 2020 met some wonderful growers that we still have relationships with today all over Oregon. And for those folks, and in some instances, it was a struggle to keep those contracts mm -hmm. because COVID did impact wineries, you know, as you know, in a big way. And so there were some wineries that just, they couldn't follow through 
with maybe all that they wanted for that year. So we had lined up with some growers already and got some orders in. Um, and so we had what we committed to ready to go. I, I'm a stickler about that. I plan way ahead. <laughs> we lock in contracts. Uh, but even up till, uh, I remember the day harvesting Merlot up uh, just outside the Dalles, and the grower was saying, well, hey, if you, if you wanted some Barbera even this year, because he had told me I had to wait till the next year, well, I think we can do that because there's some uh, wineries that aren't going to be able to fulfill these commitments. So. Again, if, if anything, and, and I, I feel bad at how it may have impacted some, but for us, and I know it sounds kind of funny saying it, I think that actually in some ways worked into our favor in moving ahead with wine production and expanding. So I'm curious, you mentioned your, your first wines just came out, just, just on the market recently. Um, what was the experience like for you having your own wine, your own commercial wine out for sale? And what was it like sort of taking it to market for the first time? <clears throat> Very nervous. Very nervous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, what, what, because we, we don't really know. We're, I'm not a marketer. I'm not a salesman. Um, but I just started talking to people like uh, a little store in Junction City. I'm like, you know, we're going to have uh, some commercial wines in a year. And, went through the story and they're like, well, you know, bring us some, maybe we can put it up here on a shelf. And it seems like everywhere you go, they're like, oh, let us try some. Um, I just recently talked to the uh, owner of Saginaw and he's like, so do you want to sell your wines to us? <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, we don't make that much, but thank you very much for the offer. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, so I think my trepidation was thinking I'm going to have to be a salesman. And you don't really, you just tell people that you make wine. And if they're a wine drinker, they're like, well, I'll try it because Chris talked earlier about people wanting to explore. There's so much to explore in this part of the world. It's wine-wise, it's, it's kind of mind-numbing. If you look at, for the blue signs, <laughs> everywhere you go, sometimes you go and there's eight, 10, 12 signs on a post. It's like, well, you could spend a week down there just doing that. And that's the way it is all over the country, or this part of the country. Um, so yeah, it was a little nerve wracking and not having a a shop to put stuff in for people to go to. It's still a little unnerving for me because we have to do most of our stuff online, word of mouth. Um, but we started selling a few. Um, obviously not as much as we'd like, but you got to start somewhere. So uh, we've been willing to put the work into whatever it's taken this far. Um, and we've already started exploring. We got an event at the end of the month. Um, we're looking into other places that we can go to to get you know, the wine out there. So it, it'll happen. Mm -hmm. We're patient and determined. Yeah. So it'll happen. And having frequented so many tasting rooms <clears throat> myself and being the wine consumer, being on the other side of it, that made me confident in being able to sell wine because there's a lot of folks that just really enjoy wine in Oregon. They enjoy good wine. Um, and so I know that the wine will get out there. I think what makes me nervous is just... You know, okay, here you go. You put all this time and effort into it, and you've crafted something that you feel is enjoyable, and that we have got a lot of positive feedback, but I've always got that nervous part of me that's going, okay, so what is this wine drinker gonna think mm -hmm. when they taste your product? So that's been the area that's been, you know, 
a little anxiety inducing. See, and I've tried to calm him down about that. I'm like, people are gonna like what they like and not like what they don't like, and there's gonna be people out there that like this wine. And the reason I know that is because there's some wine out there to remain nameless, people like it. So, our, and ours I think is a little better than some of those, so. But they like, you know, people like what they like, so there's a, there's a taste for everybody. And yeah, so, and nobody's dumped out anything yet. Nobody's dumped so. ours out. <laughs> Screamed and hollered and told us to get out, so we're, we're okay with that. So we just got to be patient. Now we just got to figure out what to do with 200 more cases. Yeah, that are, but that are coming, we just but, started here yeah. with, with this phase of it, so. Yeah. It's, we're, not, think, we're not too nervous. And I think we're, we're actually doing okay for mm -hmm. a couple of guys with a, a very boutique situation that is just now gone to market and there there are there's a lot of options in Oregon in terms of getting your wines out there uh, pouring them at different places um, so pretty optimistic about I think, I think most of ours is just excitement we want to get somewhere where people can actually wine people can actually taste what we've done because quite honestly this right here Pinot Noir that's as good as anything out there and I don't say that just because it's mine we've taste we've done taste tests get three or four other Pinots um, and taste it. It's, if people want Pinot, that, I mean, it's right there. And everything that we've done is similar to what's out there in the good, in the good wineries. So, and, and credit again goes to those who have helped us because they've, they've tailored us from what they know. And so we do what they already know works. And so between that and the research that we've done and the palate that we have, yeah. Shelly's got a good palate. She can really tell. We've got a couple uh, people that we know that have very, very refined palates from California, from here. Mm -hmm. Let them taste and, you know, we'll take advice. We're not above that. <laughs> we, we, yeah. any, we'll, we'll take any education we can get. Mm -hmm. So anyway. So, so when you do put your wine in front of in front of people, what's what is the kind of the best reaction? What do you want people to did they taste your wine? What's the reaction you'd like them to have? That's a really good question. I mean, I joke about, okay, they didn't dump it out, but <laughs> uh, I, I think it's nice when people can pick up certain flavors. Uh, so, for example, if you're pouring a, a, a rosé of Pinot Noir, if you have someone that enjoys it and they're, they're able to describe, hey, I'm getting maybe some strawberry on that, maybe I'm getting some papaya or, or some kind of fruit, uh, that's really gratifying, and I know that sounds simple, but I think that that's any winemaker wants that out of their wines. They want something that's unique and flavors to stand out. This isn't just a uh, okay. This this beverage just it, there it went glided across my tongue, and there's there's not much there. Yeah, it's okay. So when people pick up on those nuances and certain things that they they can pick out that they like uh, on their palate, that for me is a an awesome reaction. I'm a little more simple. I like them to just go, ooh, <laughs> that's nice. Um, and the other reaction I like is, can I have another glass of that? Mm -hmm. That's probably the best one. Um, or can I buy a bottle of that? You know, that's obviously what we want. But for them to say, wow, that's nice, is that strawberry? Is that I don't know. I don't know what it is to you, because <laughs> palates are different. 
So, yeah, just to, just to have somebody go, wow, you guys did a good job, or that's very nice. Um, it's very satisfying. Yeah. So what comes next? Uh, you, you obviously got you said the next commercial release coming later this year. As you look ahead, what are you looking forward to in terms of, of growth, in terms of other things to work with, in terms of what's what are the next kind of goals in mind? Uh, we just kind of want to see what the next year brings, make sure we can sell, because we haven't done that part of it yet. Mm -hmm. We know we can make good wine. Uh, we know we won't kill each other making wine. Uh, last year probably would have been that because it was <clears throat> there were moments last year where it was a lot of work um, but between Shelly and my wife Donna and the friends we have um, you know we have some equipment that helps us to to process very nicely um, but if we can get some sales out there we can get some events we can get you know a few relationships perhaps at markets or different things that we can sell do some repeat work um, I think that's what we'd like to do, just get some events under us, pour some wine, get get a, get the exposure out there so people can know that we're there for one um, without hanging a big balloon up there with Mackenzie Crest wines all over it. Um, but we can get some exposure, we can get some wine sold. Um, then, you know, then the circle will be complete because we planted, we made, now we got to sell, you know, and, and it's happening slowly. Um, but we'll, uh, we're going to try to scale back production just a touch from 11, 5 tons to, <laughs> to maybe 3 or 4 this year, but we'll see. Um, it's a very generous community. We had, like I said last year, we had uh, some very nice people give us, I think, 3,000 pounds, 3,500. Mm -hmm. 3, yeah, some high-quality grapes. Some super, yeah, super high-quality grapes. Um, so we'll see what happens, but, you know, if we live through the next year, I'll be happy. Yeah. Sell a sell a case or two, that'd even make it better. So not too big expectations, but um, just see if we can sustain. That's uh, that's an important thing. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think it's definitely building an audience, letting us know that we're out here as an option. Um, and just developing uh, a following. Uh, you know, there's, in my opinion, I don't think there's any such thing especially in Oregon, as the best wine or the best winery. I mean, we all have our favorites, of course, but from a winemaking standpoint and offering wine to consumers, uh, we just want to be another interesting option. Mm -hmm. So I think accomplishing that will be nice. And, and like Dan mentioned, too, that once there is that following and there's, we can sustain ourselves through wine sales and things like that, that's success to us. We're not looking looking to become rich winemakers. I mean, you know, like has been discussed a couple of times, it's it's a passion. So, but if we can sustain the passion of project, then I, I think that's success. Yeah, if it can pay for itself, you know, that'd be even be better, but. And it's, it's not out of the question. We've had discussions about maybe having like an urban tasting room. Uh, I know that Iris has recently come into downtown Springfield and we thought about that before too because again there's no real unique boutique wine options in springfield yet so we thought about that too getting a, a tasting space maybe down there and seeing what opportunities are there elsewhere in springfield so that way we can actually have a brick and mortar if you will location where people could come and taste wines and just okay. relax for a while even if we had to split it with somebody you know get a two or three something in there we don't know yet. We don't have a hard, fast plan. We're kind of making it up as we go. 
But you have a winery in your mind. I have a winery in my mind. <laughs> you have to know about builders. They always have pictures of things in their head. People ask, how can you build that? I'm like, how can you not? You know, I don't know. Um, I just see things. And my, the winery in my mind is not big, but very nice. Mm -hmm. Today is more expensive to build than it was in 2019 because COVID made building materials go completely out of sight. So we'll see what the future brings, but that too, we have to be patient and wait for. Yeah. It's like the watchword of winemakers is patience. 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 Yeah. You, can't, you can't push a grape to do anything. You get you get ornery with a grape, it'll just quit. <laughs> yeah, you, you get the good days and the bad days. I've yeah. I've said before, man, it's a bummer that wine isn't like say beer, and that you can get some turnaround in a few months and go at it again. But then there's other days where I'm thinking, oh, I'm so glad harvest with grapes comes around just one time a year. <laughs> <laughs> it just it depends on the day because there's yeah. there's all sorts of things that come your way. 90 degrees, working yourself half to death, trying to keep those grapes in a nice cool spot. You have moments, but, and then you have benefit. So, and I think the benefits far outweigh the other. Yeah, I think so too. So you both talked about the, the industry and the, the help you've received and kind of the guidance you've received. So I'm curious, um, as you look at the Oregon wine industry, what, what do you sort of see happening next in, in Oregon wine? Is that, is that kind of communal spirit? here to stay, uh, is something else coming, and what, what, what do you see as you kind of look down the road for the industry? Uh, well, it's that, that spirit's been here since they started bringing stuff over from France and Germany and stuff, so uh, that's not going anywhere. I, I see it getting, in just a few years that I've been in it, um, it's just gotten better and mm -hmm. better. I mean, people like the help, and I think you kind of have to be easy going to get in the whole wine industry. And so, it, uh, I, I don't see it going anywhere. Um, more broad, broad spectrum, you know, there's been disasters, a lot of fires. Um, we lost an entire crop whenever the holiday farm fire was. I mean, we tried, we made the wine, and we tried to save it, and there was no saving it. Um, that made me cry when I had to dump all that out. <laughs> No, that was one of the bad days. Um, yeah. But with California fires and the devastation to the wine community down there, I mean, there's been, I don't know, dozens, dozens. I, I don't want to say hundreds, but I mean, you probably know more than I, uh, how much devastation there was to that. And that's affected here because a lot of this wine is going there. Um, so. That, that's a that's kind of a loaded question. Where is it going and what's it doing? Because it's pretty much in flux right now. Uh, it's a good time for us because um, there's less wine there, and so more wine here is probably a good thing. Although we haven't seen directly uh, any effect on that yet, but um, I don't know. Loaded question. I think with Oregon, I think that that uh, generous community spirit's definitely going to stay. I can't see it going anywhere I think it's going to continue which is a beautiful thing um, but I think too with Oregon uh, I think that winemakers are going to continue that sense of exploration uh, for instance um, I know that there's a lot of wineries that are even right now trying um, skin contact Pinot Gris 
That's just one example. Let's let's make a red Pinot Gris. So they're they're trying new things, and I think that's going to make more interesting wine options for consumers, and that's that's very exciting. And I know too that Oregon is working on exploring with grapes that previously you may have thought, well, you can't do that in Oregon, you can't grow that. Uh, Tempranillo is starting to pop up. I know that there's some wineries uh, are wanting to try to come in with some cool climate Syrah. Um, Pinot Gris, it, it feels like it's common, but that has even been a, a more recent explosion uh, in this area anyway. So uh, that's a good example of, again, that sense of exploration and trying new things in Oregon. And I think that that all equates to just awesome choices for us wine consumers. I think that they're, uh, Oregon's going to, I don't want to say struggle, but they're going to keep trying to deal with the challenge of the rising costs with wine because we're at a kind of a weird time right now where it seems like everything, the cost of everything is going up. And of course that impacts wine. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we could talk for a whole other interview about just trying to track down glass and you know, clear wine <laughs> bottles that, you, know, you, can, yeah, that you can't find to anywhere. get supplies just a bottle. Um, so there, we'll still have some of those challenges, I think. But uh, I think Oregon's going to come out the winner of those challenges still. And I see nothing but but good things. And it's that those things, that spirit, uh, getting into this industry. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of those positives. Okay, this will be this will be part you're going to have to take out because she's got treats. This is this is rhubarb cake. So, thank you so much. No, we'll wait until we get done. You're almost done. I was actually just about to wrap up. So. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good timing, Donna. Thank you. This smells amazing. Not allergic to rhubarb. Don't you know? Eat at your own risk. <laughs> so, it's all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything I didn't okay. ask that I should have? Anything we need, didn't cover that we need to cover? Um, not that I can think of. No. I don't know. It's nice and thorough. We appreciate you guys coming down as well. Yeah, we appreciate that very Absolutely. much. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll take any advice you have on wine, the wine industry, and wine market, and that kind of thing. Because I mean, you you get so much exposure to winemakers and what they're doing um, if you can nudge a new guy in the right direction we'll save that for off camera yeah <laughs> and I think too that's that's uh, a thank you um, to you guys and uh, the university of course because this yeah. is I think an awesome endeavor and a project to have this kind of uh, an oral history video history of wine in Oregon uh, this is, man, if there was something to put in a time capsule, oh, it's, yeah. you know, Absolutely. let's get that archive in there. And so I think this is going to be pretty interesting. I've enjoyed looking at the videos so far. I'm looking forward to the other stuff that you guys keep putting up. So we've, uh, I've mentioned Chris Duckelman up at Vitus Ridge. Uh, the, the grapes that he gave us, gave the, the rooted starts that we purchased, um, are from grapes that he's had in the ground at that time 35 years and so they're super well established up there so we bring them here and plant them up there and he's like you know you're going to have a completely different grape and at that time I'm like well isn't it you know Marichelle Foch she's like yeah you'll have that he said and then you know we we learned about soil composition and atmosphere and oxygenation and you know all these different things that affect a grape um, so we have a different 
grape growing up there out of the same rooted start. However, uh, the, you know, the nuances of it will be way different. So I think from, from that point, and he's like, you're going to grow a completely different grape, I had to figure out why, because I'm the science guy. <laughs> and so, um, I, I don't know, I just find it unbelievably fascinating that you can move a grape, I don't know, let's just call it 70 miles, and it turns out to be a completely different creature. And that's fascinating to me. <clears throat> the scientist in me really likes that. He wants to get a lab <laughs> and then start tearing that apart. But tasting room first, lab next. So anyway, yeah, I echo Chris. Thank you guys for doing this. Um, I'd like to have the education that you've had talking to different winemakers by the hundreds. <clears throat> Pretty, pretty amazing. Well, yeah. Thank you both so much for that and for the interview and for our delicious dessert here we're about to enjoy. Yeah, so absolutely. We'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Thank you again. All thank right, you. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University, with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.